Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. All right, so um, the next two weeks I'm going to be teaching on what I am learning about our Heavenly Father from the fresh perspective of new fatherhood. And it's amazing all the things that I've learned just in a few weeks. Kobe is going to be three weeks old at two in the morning. So that's incredible. It's crazy. It is a blink of an eye. When, I, when, when the, the book of James says that life is a vapor, it's here and it's just gone. It's like a mist. That is true. Because it feels like, you know, yesterday, Melissa was, we just found out she was pregnant and now we have a three week old. So it's really, really exciting. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be really fun because. Um, I get to take you on the journey with me as I've had the opportunity to remember, this has been really important for me, to remember that I am a child of God, and I'm cared for by the Father. And that's been super important for me recently because in the haze of early fatherhood, and if um, you are a dad and you remember that, or you're, you're a recent dad, or you're about to be a dad, there is a haze of early fatherhood. The only thing that has kept me grounded is the reminder that I am first a child of God. I've been reminded that for me to be a good dad to Kobe and a good husband to Melissa, um, I have to remember that my identity starts with being a child of God. And so that's actually the major theme of this morning is that we are all children of God, and when we remember that, and our identity is rooted in the fact that we are children of the Heavenly Father, our lives become pretty great. And so we're going to kind of dive into that uh, this morning. God has called many things. He's called Mighty King, Wonderful Counselor. A lot of the ways that the Bible describes God describes Him through His power. He created out of nothing. He has this, this distant power that we'll never be able to understand. Um, he spoke and things existed. And he speaks into your life and things exist. He is the most powerful being of all time. And that's how he's mostly talked about, in the, especially in the Old Testament, about his power. But it's really interesting that when Jesus came on the scene, there was a new focus on God being called Father to his children. The Old Testament rarely talks about God as a father, actually only around 15 to 20 times. The Old Testament talks about God being a father. But Jesus refers to God as Father over 100 times in the Gospel of John alone. And so when Jesus comes onto the scene, he kind of changes this idea that the, the people of God had on how they related to the, to the God in heaven. Um, it went from this relationship that was all about power and like, you know, we want to make sure that uh, we are in good favor with God and so, you know, we want to keep his law and all those things. He flipped that relationship on its head, and it now became, um, and it was always this way, but Jesus made it really clear that it became a new relationship, one of father and child. And so when Jesus speaks about God the Father, he uses this Hebrew word that's in your notes. It's Abba. We've talked about it before, but I think it's a really important distinction to make this morning that when Jesus speaks about God the Father, he talks about him in an intimate way. Abba is this idea that there is a form of intimacy. Um, if you've ever heard people uh, speak on Abba before, mostly they'll, they'll say that it's this word daddy. 
And that is what it is. It's like a little child who just learns how to speak, and the only way they can address their father is with this joy of daddy. And we're not there yet. All I hear is, ah. But I imagine that's what she's saying. Daddy. I have um, some young uh, nieces and nephews, and whenever they're, like, really excited to do something, they run up and they go, Daddy, 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 can we go outside? Um, And then they say it a million more times. But that's the kind of intimacy that Jesus is talking about when he talks about the Heavenly Father. It's that of someone who just learns how to say his dad's name, and all they can get out is daddy. And so that's the relationship that God the Father wants to have with us. It's the intimacy that only comes if you are actually a child of the Father. Because if, you know, you just meet like Joe at the store, and you're a little kid, you're probably not going up to them saying, daddy, you know. Or if you do, have you ever seen a kid run up to someone in the store and say daddy and then realize it's not their dad? Like what happens? Just like fear and tears. It's like that's actually not my dad. That's really scary. So Jesus talks about the, the father in this way that he actually is a child and the heavenly father is his father. And it's the father-son relationship that's the catalyst for all believers to be adopted to experience this as well. The father grafted in all who believe through the sacrifice of the son. And so when we think about God being a father, it's through the context that Jesus opens the gate of fatherhood to us. That's the primary, one of his primary reasons to come to earth is to establish a way for everyone to be a child of God. And so when we relate to God, we're meant to relate to him through Christ as though we are children of the father. So how does that happen? Well, it's through faith in the work of Jesus, the work done on the cross, the sacrifices uh, for the sins of the world. In Romans 8.15, Paul explains what happens for new believers. He says that you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, and that's, there's that word again, Abba, Father. Through the work of Christ, you are adopted into the family as a child of God. So who are the children of God? Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord has been adopted into the family. And with that, the relationship, the primary relationship that you have with God is meant to be that of an intimate father, an intimate dad, an Abba. And every way that God sees you through Christ is now changed. This is what happens with Jesus. It's now filtered through Christ as though he has a fatherly heart to you. And so when he sees you in Christ, he sees you as his child, and he sees himself as your dad. And so that's what I'm going to be teaching on, that if you are in Christ, this week and next week, I'm going to be teaching that if you are in Christ, you have the best dad ever. Regardless of where you're at with your personal earthly father, if you have Christ, you have the best father that's ever been. For this mini-series, we're going to be looking at the parable of the prodigal son, and you can find it in Luke 15. And so that's going to be our anchored text, and we're going to be looking at it from a few different angles over the next few weeks. That's in Luke 15, because with the prodigal son, Jesus is showing us 
This is what the Father is like. And that's the point of this entire parable, that when you look at it, you see this is exactly what the Heavenly Father is like. He's completely different from how we react and act as parents. So I'd like to hit the highlights before we dive in. Um, If you don't know the story, I'm just going to kind of hit it from a 30,000-foot view. Jesus tells a story about a dad who has, he's, he's got riches, he's got an estate, he's got an inheritance for his kids, and he has a son who says, Dad, it's about time I have my inheritance and get out of here. So his youngest son wants his inheritance now, and he leaves, and um, the Bible says here in Luke 15 that not many days later, so like very quickly, The son who demanded his inheritance and ran away squandered everything that his dad gave him. And as the story goes, this younger son, um, who we know as the prodigal son, resorts to eating with pigs so that he wouldn't be uh, rot in shame and and guilt for what he'd done. And then he realizes, my dad actually treats his servants better than this, so I I should probably go home. And so The younger son runs home, and his father, instead of rebuking him, um, actually runs to him and forgives him and throws him the best party that the estate had ever seen. And then he had another son, and this is the older brother, and his other son was working in the field uh, for years, and in the field he hears this party happening, and he's pretty mad and bitter because his younger son stole, I mean, I don't know, pretty much took the inheritance and ran. And his dad didn't scold him for returning. His dad was excited and happy and joyful and threw him the best party ever. And so the older son was bitter and angry. He felt like his brother didn't deserve to be treated well. And he also felt like he deserved a party as well. He says here at the bottom of Luke 15, you never killed a calf for me and threw a party for my friends. And so he's, he's pretty mad. And so the father treats the older uh, brother very similar to to the way that he treats the younger brother. He doesn't disown him for his own entitlement there. He treats him with love and with care. And so um, if you want to know what the father is like, Luke 15, 11 through 32 is the case study that reveals it. This is what our heavenly father is like. And so Um, I have two things for us this morning that we're going to see that I'm learning about the Father, and this parable actually just helps it along. So the first thing is this. This is in your notes. The Father adores His children. The Father adores His children. So I was pretty scared to have a newborn baby because, one, the first time I held a baby, I was like holding it kind of like this. And like really scared I'm going to fumble it and drop it and it's going, to, it's going to break. But more recently I've held a couple infants and I looked down at them and I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> like this is a baby, cool. And I was like ready to get out of there after like three minutes. Like thanks for letting me hold your baby. You can have your baby back. Anyone ever experienced that with holding a baby? Raise your hand if you're there so I'm not alone. Thank you, five of you. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate that. And I told Melissa like two weeks before her due date, I'm kind of scared because I was afraid that when Kobe was born, I was going to hold her and I was going to feel that same way about her. That I was going to look down and be like, okay, whatever, it's a baby. But that didn't happen. 
It didn't happen. On August 15th, at about 2.20 in the morning after um, she was kind of cleaned up a little bit, I held my, my baby for the very first time. I did not want to leave after three minutes. I was instantly attached to who she would become as a person. I instantly cared about what she would be. It was like this switch that happened that changed from this fear of not caring about a baby to this love that I have for my own child. I was overcome with joy thinking about watching her grow, becoming a woman, having maybe, I don't know, a countercultural view of what it means to be a friend and a wife and a mom and all the ways that I get to help her to get there. And I'm feeling emotional right now just thinking about that. I became intimately interested in the intricacies of her fingers. If you've ever had a baby, your own baby, you look down and you see this hand. And I was shocked that every bone that she will have when she's 95 is in her hand already. And I became intimately interested in the intricacies of her little grunts and her screams. And one thing that they told me would happen, and I didn't believe it, but it did, is you start to learn the little squeaks of your own child. I was completely enraptured with my kid. The fear like left immediately because when I looked down to Kobe, I wasn't just seeing a baby. I was seeing my child. And when God the Father looks at you, if you are in Christ, he doesn't just see another person. He sees his child. And he adores his children. I want to make this as clear as possible. That if you are in Christ, God the Father adores you. He adores you. He looks down and he's intimately, intimately involved. He cares about the intricacies of your life. Now this is the most vital point, I think, for my life. Not just for this series, but for my life as a father. Because every single response from God, to me, is filtered through the fact that he adores me. Now, I don't know where you're at with your own dad, but it's easy to not be filtered through that. Maybe you felt like you weren't adored by your dad at all, and so that's how you filter how your father sees you. But God the Father, when he sees you, he, every single emotion that he has is filtered through the fact that he adores you. And we see this in the parable. In verse 20, the younger son has come to his senses, and it says, he rose and he came to his father. But while he was still a, a long way off, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. He has a son who took the inheritance, the Bible says lived recklessly, squandered it, that means there was nothing left, in very few days. And the father is not resentful one 
ounce towards his child. He's overcome by compassion and love when he returns. He could have met him with a rebuke. Have you ever come, like you've done something wrong and you show up and the first response to that, that person gives you is, how could you do that? I've said that, especially to my friends. Like, I just expect way too much. God the Father does not say that to you, ever. He never looks down and says, how could you do that? He stands, and while you are a long way off, he runs, and he meets you with a loving kiss. It's really important to note that the Father could not care less about the fortune that his son had blown. He couldn't have cared less. All he cared about was his son. So if you have gone and squandered every good gift that God has given you, every good opportunity that he's given you, if you've tried to run away from him, I promise, if you're in here this morning and you're like, I'm... I need to come back. God the Father does not meet you with a rebuke. He doesn't say, where have you been? The picture that we see in this parable is that God the Father is overcome by compassion and love any time one of his children returns home. He adores you. And Jesus talks about this in another illustration where he says that he's the good shepherd. And one thing about God that is countercultural is that the good shepherd will leave his flock, the 99, to go after just the one. He will leave the flock to chase after you. So if you go and squander every good gift, every rich, if you've blown the fortune and you feel like that's it, Even if you run from him, he's waiting, ready, and willing to embrace you with love and compassion. He's near. All he's waiting for is for you to return. And I've taught on this before, but the implication is that the father was waiting at the end of his property. He left his work behind, expecting for his son to return. And in his expectation, he runs to his son. The father adores you. He doesn't just adore the one who runs away, he adores the older brother too. In verse 28, it says that after his older, oldest son was angry and didn't want to go into the party, um, verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in, his father came out and entreated him. And then in verse 31, through this conversation, the father says to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. All that is mine is yours. So it's important to see that there is a party going on inside with the best meat in the complex. They've saved this, they've saved this for a special occasion. Definitely the best wine. I mean, it's been you know, waiting for something like this. And the father, I mean, my fleshly response would be just being annoyed. Like, you're pouting? We have this amazing party going on. And you're just out here angry? 
Like, come on, enjoy it. I know because I've, I mean, I've done this before. I know that I would go out there and really guilt trip this person to come back in. But the father does not go out to his older son and say, if you don't want to party, then that's your problem. And then win the argument. Instead, God the Father is compelled by his adoration and compassion. Look what it says that he does. It says that he entreats his oldest son. That means to be earnestly curious about what's going on. What's up, Kobe? <laughs> to entreat someone means to be earnestly curious about what's going on. So that means that when he went out to his son, he didn't go out there to scold him. He went out there to see, how are you doing? You know, you've been working in the field. He probably was empathetic. I, I get it. I would feel this way too. And in his compassion, in his adoration for his oldest son, he gently reminds him, Man, maybe I haven't reminded you enough. Maybe you need, to be, uh, you need to be reminded in this way, but have you forgotten that everything that I have is yours too? The father adores the child who runs away, which is amazing. You run away from Heavenly Father, He adores you. But He also adores the one who wants attention, the one who's full of pride, the one who thinks that they're owed something by God. He adores you as well. Now, I think that it would be much easier to adore my kid who ran away. Because like it's a celebration that they've come back. But for the person who's like always in the house, doesn't ever leave, doesn't do a whole lot, that would be much harder for me to adore that person because it's like, get on with it. Like, what do you need from me? God the Father does not do that. He loves the one who stays and grumbles. He loves the one who complains and is expected something from him. He adores him too. So I've got a couple applications for this point. The first one is that if you are a child of God, this could be all, we could stop it right here. If you are a child of God, he adores you. And for some of us who've been in church our whole lives, we've never heard that. We've never grasped that. That he looks down at you and he is intimately involved in who you are. So rest in the fact that he absolutely adores you. Not because of what you can do for him. Not because of your commitment to him. The, I mean, the younger son had no commitment to him. Not because you're talented. Not because you can recite your Bible. Here's some theology for you. God adores you for one reason and one reason only. Because you are his child. And he is your father. The adoration begins and ends there. You are his and he is yours. 
You can squander every gift that he's ever given you. And you can complain that he hasn't given you enough. But he adores you because you're his child. Second application is for parents. This is a little bit of a shorter one. But the question for this morning is, do you adore your kids? And do they know it? I'm at the infant stage right now, so it's very easy to adore my child. Very easy. I'm aware of this. I imagine that when she's a teenager and grinds my gears, it's going to be a lot harder. Because I was a kid, and I know what I did to my parents. But kids are much more intuitive than we give them credit. And they know when you're intimately involved in their life or not. And for some of us, the way that we adore our kids needs to be different. Now, and I love my mother, and we've had this conversation, so I feel comfortable talking about it. She knows that I don't feel adored if you call me her baby boy anymore. Because I'm 30 and I'm a dad now. But to be, to ask gen, uh, genuinely curious questions about my life, that's how, so there, there are ways to adore your kid that aren't like exactly what you did when they were infants. God will help you with that. So um, maybe this morning for some of us, this is a day to reorient your heart towards your kids. And the best place to start is exactly where you are right now. Ask him to rebuild your adoration for them. And he'll do that. The second thing that I've learned from being a father is that the father is slow to anger. Now, no one can prepare you for the amount of times your child goes to the bathroom. No one. You cannot be prepared for this. They told me like 12 to 15 diapers. I'm like, nah, not a possible. That might be an understatement for that one back there. She's got her father's stomach. <laughs> it was about the sixth day. It's like three in the morning. Kobe's going to the bathroom. Like, she's gone to the bathroom. I'm changing her diaper on the couch. And I'm just like in a stupor, nonchalant, you know, this is fine. I've done this for six days, so I'm, I'm, I'm an expert now. And all of a sudden, <laughs> rocket launcher into my hand kid poop in my hand on the couch on the carpet we have a white rug in our living room and I'm looking down like okay I was not prepared for that I could and so I clean it up I like run to the to the kitchen I get the carpet cleaner and I clean it all up in the morning I tell Melissa I'm like you're never gonna believe what this kid did and she's like ah I should have known you should have known story gets better. The next day, we go to Target. We had to make some returns. Well, Kobe needed to eat, so Melissa decided to feed her while I went and did some returns. I went and bought a few things. We needed more carpet cleaner because last night I used it all, so I had to buy some more. And as I'm walking back to the truck, I look in my driver's seat, and what do I see? But my pretty new uh, truck driver's seat is full of baby poop. She rocket launched two times in less than 24 hours all across the truck. I mean, it's in my seat. It's in the center console. It's on Melissa's shoes. It's on the purse. It's on the baby bag. It's actually across to the passenger side door. I'm not kidding you. Like, that thing was launched. We sit there, and we just laugh. 
We just laugh because what, what am I going to do? I have a six-day-old who needed to go to the bathroom. I couldn't be angry at all with my, with my girl. I couldn't. I couldn't. That was one of the times, one of the only times in my life that I really feel like I was slow to anger. And the Heavenly Father is slow to anger as well. He's slow to anger. The youngest son took his inheritance. He squandered it only a few days later. And we learn something very sweet about the Father. He's not resentful. He doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't disown his kid. He's waiting and ready to throw him a party. Romans 8.1 is a passage that you should circle and highlight and memorize. It is a verse that I've brought up so many times in my life to myself and to my friends because it talks about the way that God sees you in your sin if you're a believer. And it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Father did not condemn the prodigal son. And He doesn't condemn you in your sin either. Romans 8.15, which we talked about in the beginning, sheds light on why. Because you have been adopted. And now you can cry, Abba, Father. The reason that you're not condemned in your sin is because you're a child of God. And the Heavenly Father does not condemn His children. And He's not resentful to His children either. He's overcome by compassion and love when his child returns. And to the older son, who I think it would be easier to be angry with, he doesn't say, get over it. He entreats him. He's earnestly curious about what's going on. He comes to him with comfort and consolation. And in, the, in his slowness to anger, the father reminds the older brother, don't forget, you're my son too. You're my son too. It's an incredible, incredible display of patience and love from the father. That he's patient with the lost. And he's also patient with the found. He's patient with the one who swings on a pendulum of faith and unfaith. And he's also patient with the one who plods away in the field. Who thinks that he's owed something. Now the Pharisees who were listening to this parable, we know this about them. They always were waiting for Jesus to like zing his people. So they would have been shocked that the father does not condemn either of his kids. The gauntlet should have been brought down on both of them. But God is not like us. Psalm 103, 8-10, I think it's in your notes, speaks about God in this way. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. God the Father is not looking for payback. 
He's always and forever ruled by the fact that you are his child. And he adores his children. So the application for this is that the father is slow to anger, which means that he's approachable in your mistakes. I love that the older brother felt comfortable enough to tell his dad exactly what was going on. His dad comes out earnestly curious about what's going on, and he doesn't say, I'm fine. Does that ever do that? He says, I never got a calf. Like, I want a party. You forgot me. It's amazing that the older brother feels comfortable enough to share his complaints with his father. I think, I think it's because he knew that the father is safe. And the younger brother knew about the safety of the father as well, that he treats his servants better than I'm being treated right now. And that just goes to show that the heavenly father is safe in your mistakes. He is safe with your sin. Go to him. He does not deal with you according to your iniquities. He deals with you according to the work of Jesus. And so as a parent, I know that I'm going to need this application. With my own child, am I slow to anger? Right now it's super easy, I get that. But maybe this morning, for those of you who aren't there right now, this is the time for God to reorient your heart back to your kids with love. Music team can come on up. If you're not a child of God, this is the part of the relationship that you receive with Him. A father who adores you and a father who is slow to anger. If you're not a child of God this morning, he's waiting. He's waiting for you. And if that's something that you'd like after service, I just want to give the invitation. I'll I'll be standing up here waiting, ready. If you want to talk about that, more than willing to talk about that as long as you need. Let's go ahead and pray. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.